0: Studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrepski. Thanks for listening to the show on your Indiana Public Broadcasting station this month. If ever you'd like to submit a question for the program, email that to ask at WBAA.org or tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. Well, I wanted to start out by talking about something that's probably going to go down a little bit here as the months get colder, which is the different ways that, that people are transporting themselves around college campuses. I first noticed this. About five, six years ago, when I worked at Florida State University, the the resurgence of what at that time were just people-powered skateboards, but now it's very interesting. You've had you know, we've had a lot of talk about these motorized scooters the last couple of years. We've got more motorized skateboards. I've even seen motorized bicycles, bicycles with honest to god gas motors on them. How is the university looking at this? Because I, I talk to people who come into campus for the first time, and they're like, have you seen the the crazies out on the, on the street? I'm like, yes, I see them every day. I try not to hurt them. So what is the university's doing?
1: Maybe not enough. This is a very timely and, I think, important question. Um, and I, I can't help but wonder, uh, I mean, Purdue, uh, we're a sizable university, but we are relatively compact for the size we are. And yet it takes a while to get from one end of campus to the other. And you're right, students have uh, now gone to all kinds of options uh, from good old-fashioned bicycles to um, very modern uh, technologies, skateboards that I'm told can top out at 25 miles an hour. That wouldn't shock me from seeing them. Yeah. And um, so we've uh, uh, tried to accommodate this. We have rules which are sometimes followed and some aren't. They're not supposed to be on sidewalks, but they often are. Uh, we have we've put down lots of other uh, bike lanes or lanes for these kind of vehicles, uh, and they're uh, only supposed to be used there or on the on the bike lanes of streets or on the streets. But um, uh, we have a growing list of, of accidents. We had a very serious one just uh, um, uh, 36 hours before we're taping this show. I'm very relieved that this student is going uh, to live, and apparently. Make a recovery, but the first reports I got uh, had this uh, had him in critical condition. It happened on a street on one of these powered skateboards. So uh, I think we've got to have a a, a conversation, a a continual conversation about how to facilitate mobility, but uh, but also have safety. Uh, We we had a very serious uh, accident not too long ago between. Two, two people, uh, one on, um, I think it was a scooter, and the other on a, one of the skateboards. And it's uh, very serious damage to the trachea and respiratory system of, of the the woman on the scooter. So um, a, a real issue um, at the moment maybe our biggest safety issue. And uh, you're right to ask about it, and, and, and we're going to— uh, Renew our exploration of it. I, uh, uh, at least, so I intend. If, if you talk and I do to our uh, campus police f- folks, they'd be happy if these were banned entirely. Now, of course, it's their job to try to reduce to zero the incidents of uh, any uh, incident that endangers anybody, and so I
0: respect their point of view, but. Um, And it's my understanding that the police force has this year, just this semester, begun doing a much more granular look at accidents involving bicycles or those involving scooters or those involving skateboards where previously that might have been lumped together and it might have been hard to read. But is that going to be useful to you if you are able to take that data and have a hard numeric look at, well, we can tell you exactly how many scooter accidents or exactly how many skateboard accidents? Yeah,
1: no, no, I think it's exactly what we need. Uh, you, you don't want to start restricting vehicles that aren't causing problems. Um, and so we need to know which ones. I think we need to know where. Uh, are there hot spots where it's happening? Are there times of day? Um, I, I've been doing some, uh, as you can tell, uh, research just recently on this. There are a lot of cities. Now take the scooters. Now the scooters, we're a cold-weather uh, latitude, And uh, so a lot of the scooters are going away for a few months, right? and maybe that alone will uh, reduce the number of accidents. But um, we ought to use that time to try to understand this a whole lot better now that we've got all this experience, and much of it not good experience, uh, recently. But no, that data you were asking them about is exactly what we've asked them to produce. Um, I mentioned time of day, and I've noticed that in some cities, they ban them at night, for instance. Um, so we want to learn a little more about how, why they made that choice and how
0: that's worked. Um, so are you in a position where you're going to start maybe engaging the street departments or the transportation departments in some cities to ask them what their data says? Yeah,
1: and I've asked our folks to scout this out everywhere we can. We we need to learn more about other campuses. Obviously, the, something uh, we're, we won't be the only one wrestling with this. But anyway, it's a it's a very important uh, question. There's when you get. When you step back from it, our very, very first responsibility of all uh, we are charged with here is, is uh, the safety of our students, faculty, and staff. Year on year, um, our, our campus and the West Lafayette community rank very high in safety, and we want to stay
0: there. And I'm sure it's a question that a lot of other campuses are are wrestling with as well, and cities to to that point. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Email your questions to ask at WBAA.org. Tweet them also at WBAA News on Twitter. There was some discussion in the university senate meeting this month about whether the ban on sports betting for Purdue faculty and staff extends to those people who work for Purdue Global and uh, Provost. Uh, Ackridge uh, did his best to try to answer that, uh, but I wanted to ask you: did, What about that question? Mm-hmm. Does it does it extend to anyone who works under the Purdue umbrella?
1: Fair, fair question. And uh, uh, I, I'm, as it happens, I have my regular meeting with the Chancellor uh, uh, of, of Global uh, today, and I'm going to raise that with her. See what she thinks. I think it would be in the spirit of what we're doing, and 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 this is really being done. I think we've talked about it. Once already, Stan, as much as a matter of spirit, intuition, and principle, as uh, as based on uh, any uh, uh, incidents or or specific uh, um, misdeeds that anybody has seen, and if you if you look at it that way, then yes, probably anybody with the Purdue um, uh, a label, a direct label. Another question that that came up in a different from a different source was. Uh, what about contractors? Are they part of this, or should they be? And uh, as we said at the outset, the trustees said, um, it it seemed the right step to take or a step in that direction was appropriate. This may and probably is not the last word. We'll want to keep listening to input like that and thinking about it and it might be reshaped, might be broadened, might be refined or narrowed. But uh, since uh, mobile gambling was suddenly uh, an already a uh, um, reality in Indiana, and people were betting on Purdue, are betting on Purdue games and athletes.
0: Something like uh, $48 million wagered in Indiana in just the first month of mobile gambling. I thought
1: I saw some huge number like that. And so I think that's why the trustees acted. Let's at least make a, a statement that may just be our uh, a start. And then um, I think it has uh, had the virtue of – of prompting a lot of other people to think about it, like the members of the Senate. Remember, this suggestion came from the, from Senate members in the first place, from faculty, and we're grateful to them for that. And uh, so let's keep the conversation going because uh, we probably don't have this exactly right on the first try.
0: One more topic relating to the intersection of sports and athletics. I was talking with people in the Athletics Media Relations Department after the NCAA said it would allow student athletes to be able to get paid for their names, images, and likenesses. And uh, Purdue basically said, look, we're going to kind of try and follow what the Big Ten is doing with the understanding that the Big Ten is probably still some months away from having very specific guidance on how universities should a- approach this What's your impression of how Purdue, uh, which, of course, does a lot of marketing uh, and is, and is a, you know, one of those power five conference schools. And so lots of TV exposure, of course, the Big Ten Network. So there's lots of money circling around here that potentially could be tapped into by Purdue student athletes. How would you like to see that relationship established now that the NCAA says it's OK?
1: Darn if I know. This
0: is really
1: hard for me, at least. On the one hand... Um, there's uh there's there's no denying the um justice at least in the abstract of of athletes who are without whose uh, excellence and skill and hard work <clears throat> there is no show mm-hmm. therefore there isn't no uh revenue there aren't tickets aren't sold and and eyeballs aren't watching television um uh, i'll be re- i'll be uh, I guess, a little sad when the day comes, and I think it's when, when somebody figures out a way to share some a lot of that money with the athletes, because it will really mean the the, the absolute end of amateur athleticism, which I think has really enriched and enlivened college uh, life in this country in a unique way. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world for a long time. Um, and we shouldn't move on to the how you do it question without noting it's it's really not right when people say, well, they don't get anything out of it. Oh, yes, they do. They get a college degree, which on average is worth an extra million dollars over a person's lifetime, and they get that degree paid—the scholarship athletes get that degree paid for by uh, generous donors, and so um, it it's pretty clear that— um, those with the final say have decided that something will change and uh, what I where I get stuck is fine but I can't I haven't yet seen the answer that doesn't create problems bigger than the, at least
0: as big as the one we're trying to solve i think even if people don't have a philosophical problem with the idea of college athletes getting paid for those names images and likenesses that that nil acronym we're going to start to see a whole mm. lot more I I wonder just philosophically about the idea of well right now we're talking about Division One what about Division Two II, Division Three N A I A heck what about high school athletes at, at, because at some point it seems like there's there's a philosophical slippery slope argument yeah. here no listen I think you're right in fact it would it could easily go to high school athletes
1: before it ever goes to Division Two one of the issues around N I L is most people's N I or L isn't worth anything. It'll only be a small handful who's, um, who are famous enough that it's really worth something. Now, th- this is where the abuse potential is so obvious. People or boosters or schools or who knows could start paying people. They're not really interested. They're not going to get anything out of that likeness except um, to funnel money to a student. They want to go to the right school. Or, and th- that's why I say it could reach high school first. Uh, highly touted X-star, four-star, five-star, you know, athletes mm-hmm. in high school. Some of them are much better known than the offensive, the second string offensive guard on the top college team in the country, if you see what I'm saying.
0: Right. Well, and you have things like, you know, Bryce Harper shows up on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine at age 16 and then has to himself find a way to skirt the process by going to like a junior college so he can get drafted a little bit earlier. Now it seems like that process gets streamlined to where he signs an agent at 16 and goes to the major leagues without ever thinking about college at all. Right.
1: So I suppose you can call it progress if society has made up its mind that uh, that that much of the uh, this revenue should be shared. Um, I think the hard work will be trying to fashion a way to do it that is reasonably fair and, and reasonably um, uh,
0: invulnerable to serious abuses. I wanted to ask about um, something that's been talked a lot about on campus recently, which was an incident at a, a CVS pharmacy that's uh, across the street from Mackey Arena. And, and just to, for people who haven't heard what happened, a Puerto Rican student uh, at Purdue was denied medication because the clerk didn't seem to understand that this person had a valid ID and perhaps understand that Puerto Ricans are Americans. This has sparked understandable outrage. There was a protest outside the store on the night of a basketball game when lots of people were in that area. <laughs> CBS has apologized You've pretty much stayed away from commenting about this. Why is that? That's kind of what a lot of people want to know.
1: Well, I'll start with the fact it was an unfortunate incident. shouldn't have happened, uh, whatever the causes were. Um, and uh, the university responded quickly. One our appropriate personnel brought the CVS people together with the uh, student. Um, uh, I watched the whole thing very carefully. First of all, I asked, was there any pattern of this? Had it ever happened before? No, Uh, did CVS do the right thing? Yes, they fell all over themselves to apologize personally and uh, to the student, and openly and publicly, which I thought was appropriate. And um, so, I I think that's a good place for it to uh, be, and a good way for it to been resolved. Those who raised the issue, I think, should feel uh, very good that their activity, uh, their activism, was effective. And I'm pretty sure it won't happen again. CVS is they. Refine their uh, training, um, so I think that's about what I—that's about the way I think it ought to have been handled.
0: I think uh, you're bringing up the pattern question is—is—is is, is very important and very appropriate, and I think there are a number of people uh, who have said, "Hey, is this seems to be evidence of the fact that there is still." racial discrimination that happens perhaps more often than people would want to believe? And that is there more that Purdue can do to speak out on behalf of those students?
1: Well, first of all, this may be evidence, but it may not be. Um, You know, it's a 20-year-old girl at the cashier. She probably had never been confronted with this situation before of a a driver's license, not from another state of the union, but from Puerto Rico. Now, Um, I was in a different job when we were doing everything we could to stop methamphetamine in this state. And Indiana passed, at the time at least, the strictest law in the country about the sale of cold medicine. And um, depending on the dosage, uh, you have to get it from behind the pharmacy counter. Even a lower-dose CVS, I'm told, has uh, a—trying to fully implement the same precaution— has very strict rules about demanding proper ID— as a lot of people do try to get at this stuff. It's a precursor to meth um, and try all sorts of tricks to do it. And so um, this may or may not have been a factor here. I suspect it at least is a contributing factor. If I, if the, if the, a student walked in and wanted toothpaste or shaving cream, he wouldn't be asked for the ID. It was only because of this law and or policy. So, you know, I just think that um, people are, are free to uh, and uh, reach any conclusion that makes sense to them, and I'm not saying they're wrong. But before, as an institution, we condemn uh, anybody, whether it's a 20-year-old girl uh, or a, a business, a, a neighboring business, I think we ought to be really pretty sure we know what has happened and that it's not some completely isolated incident. So, There it is. You know, our our statements on all these subjects are as clear as as they can be. When we find something um, uh, that any of our people may may have been involved in, we act on it promptly. Remember, this was off-premises. No Purdue uh, uh, staff was involved in it. Raises another interesting question to me. If we're going to be extraterritorial, where's the boundary line? If this happened in Lafayette, are we supposed to issue a university statement? How about Frankfurt? You know, I, I see uh, your Fort point. point. How about Cleveland? You know, I, mean, I see your
0: uh, point, but it's across the street from campus. I'm
1: just saying, once you establish that precedent, where's the somebody help me out? Where's the uh, where's the uh, limit? So um, that that's where it is. You know, our our position couldn't be more clear. Hats off to those who raised this issue, got what I think was a very appropriate and prompt response. And uh, uh, as a consequence of that, it's much less likely that anything like it uh, recurs.
0: So a number that came out recently was that Purdue was, I think, eighth overall in terms of its international enrollment, about 11,000 students on campus uh, from outside the country. This has been a story that's, that's unfortunately been in the news the last couple of weeks. And a school like Purdue is really always recruiting, always trying to get its name out there to people. How do you think... Uh, an incident like this affects the way that that the school is viewed by an international population that that you've had good luck trying to recruit from? Well, I can't answer that. I uh, uh, doubt that very many of them out there across this very
1: large world of ours ever saw it. Again, it's not like it's been a pattern that they've seen a host of such stories, if they even saw this one. Um, Our international applications are are very, very strong. And... um, uh, indications are they are again this year. So uh, we'll see. Um, one problem we don't see any time in the near future is too few, um, too, too little interest from international students in Purdue University. As I think we've discussed on the show, we actually have um, chosen to moderate the number and very much moderate the percentage of our student body that is international it is still we're eighth now but we were third second or third not that many years ago and we're trying to so we're we're trying to make sure we keep a a really good balance between hoosiers a majority of our students students from the other states we'd like to have somebody we do have somebody from every state in the country and as many international countries as we can
0: Another issue that you've been uh, talking a lot about, interestingly, is trying to get rid of at athletic events a a chant, and I won't repeat what it is exactly. Um, that, that is, we'll say, derogatory to Indiana University. And I'm curious why you've been pretty public about this, especially the last couple of months. Why has this been something where you've you've been trying to put your foot down?
1: Well, I wasn't public on it for five or six years. I was as private as you can be, and I made all kinds of efforts. Uh, uh, to uh, persuade uh, uh, our cheer groups, uh, the athletic department, the basketball program, our band. Um, And I was unsuccessful, and I had more or less given up. But then uh, uh, the issue got surfaced in an indirect way because of some, frankly, even worse things that IU uh, fans were yelling during our game last year. And this was... This got, lot, this got lots of publicity. And so people raised the obvious question, you know, what the Purdue, the Purdue chant's not as bad as that, but um, it's just the difference of degree. And so I think that succeeded where I had not in getting people to step back and say, well, you know, maybe we should move past it. Coach Painter was very good in saying, um, you know, to the cheer group that bears his name, enough's enough. You know, the point is, um, I'm all for our fans razzing the other side, and I hope. It, I hope. I, I love that Mackey's one of the toughest arenas to play in, and I think our fans are probably worth a couple points a game just rattling um, our uh, opponents. And I don't care if they, uh, you know, get after uh, IU in some way. the The language of this one, which some folks now in our uh, coarsened uh, culture uh, find uh, commonplace or maybe even tame, is not to everybody. And so, as I had said to our student groups, um, I understand if you've been, you've been raised and you hear these this word all the time, you don't think much of it, but uh, you don't get the letters I get from parents who said, I brought my eight-year-old and I'm not bringing them back because I'm trying to raise them with a different standard. Uh, or other fans who said, you know, I, I love everything about our program except that I'm embarrassed. And um I've been answering that kind of mail for several years. And uh, so uh, any, I think the way to look at it is uh, whether you didn't, loved it or didn't, uh, it was getting kind of stale. Let's go on to other things. And we've got some very clever uh, students, and they're already, I think, showing some very uh, 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 clever and, I hope, effective uh uh, uh, pra- uh, techniques for uh, getting under the skin
0: of whoever we're playing. Well, I always tell my journalists that uh, synonyms and interesting verbs are your friends, so I look forward to see what happens. <laughs> um, I was out at the uh, Purdue airport earlier in the day that we taped this show. I was I got a, a test flight in the new flight simulator that's been put out there, and uh this is one of several the school has or is getting, and part of it, I'm told, is to try to help establish partnerships with the likes of Airbus and Boeing, both of which are going to have their individual simulators out there before too long. Is it fair that Purdue's aviation school might be in this kind of ramp up to where you you think of it like you think of the ramp up that's happened with the engineering school and things like Is this the next kind of big thing that you want Purdue to be be thought of, you know, astronauts, and then maybe little flying a little closer to the ground? Well, I'll answer. But first of all, I've got a question. Is it? Are you, were you telling the truth when you told me you didn't crash the simulator? I, I have to say I was telling the truth. They let me take off and land the plane, and both were done safely, and I'm as surprised as anybody. I'm just thinking maybe the autopilot took over and got you down safely. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to suspend disbelief, but if that's what happened, we still landed safely. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what's very interesting about the, your question. Um, uh, on the one hand, you have uh, one of the finest flight schools and aviation management, aviation schools in the world, 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 world renown. Uh, and meanwhile, you have a huge, on the demand side, a huge pilot shortage and problem coming uh, worldwide. Uh, the growth of aviation, and uh, apparently, uh, uh, certainly in um, this country, the aging out of a, of a large uh, cohort of pilots who have now been uh, coming to the end of their careers means that there's a, a real uh, search on for a new qualified uh, uh, personnel. The difference between this and, let's say, engineering or computer science or other areas in which uh, we have invested and grown quite a lot at Purdue, is that uh, we bump up against some physical limits, specifically airspace at our airport. You can only fly so many uh, planes in and out, and um, so uh, it's it's harder to uh, for us to grow that program. And um, online could be a part of our future here. In other words, we're looking at the very hard at the at uh, the exciting prospect that um, people could be could learn to fly their aircraft in other places, there are flight schools all over the country, and we could provide the courseware that uh, helps them get to a degree and possibly a, a bigger career. Also, by the way, if you have a degree, you're able to get in the air sooner. You don't need as many hours. That simulator you were uh, flying uh, uh, today. Uh, uh, is so good and so sophisticated that I'm told that hours spent on it uh, qualify just as much as hours spent in the air.
0: Well, I'm glad but that's, you meant, I'm, that that's sort of the uh, that's the reality that we're bumping into. I'm glad you mentioned the software too, because I wanted to ask as you're partnering with the likes of Boeing, which of course has had a very tough year dealing with its MCAS software that that the FAA says led to a couple of really unfortunate crashes. where were a couple hundred people <clears> died do you think Purdue could be a place where you could help do things like test out software? And, and, and maybe you do it a little bit on the down low, because a lot of that stuff ends up being proprietary mm-hmm. or institutional knowledge. Is that the kind of thing that you'd be looking to do too? And, and and is that going to be the type of agreement that would help you think more companies invest in this aerospace district, is being able to do things like that?
1: Well, for all, for all I know, we're doing a lot of that right now. Um, it's It's a great question to put to our to the appropriate uh, people on our on our faculty, but um, you know uh, the, the the simulator. And you're talking to a rank amateur here, but I think I'm correct one of the many virtues of the simulator is they can and do throw emergencies at the student. Yes, <laughs> that you wouldn't want to actually do, you know, at ten or twenty thousand feet. And I'm very thankful they didn't do it to me. Yeah, and. Uh, And so uh, I think that's why these things are so valuable and why we consider ourselves so fortunate to have one
0: in operation here. Last real quick question in in 10 or 15 seconds. What's the likelihood as more stuff happens at the airport that commercial flights get back out there? This surfaces every so often. What's the latest you've heard?
1: On the day we're taping, we had our uh, most recent uh, meeting of the Purdue Research Foundation Board. Another update on the great things happening at our Discovery Park district. And of course that includes Hundreds of new um, employees at, at the Schweitzer Electrical Laboratory starting in January. Hundreds of new employees start at Saab starting late next year. And we think some more coming behind that. That If, if, if commercial air is going to come back to this area, it'll have to be because we got more people,
0: more businesses who want to buy more tickets, and I think we're gaining on it. All right, Mr. President, thanks as always for your time. This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrepsky. Enjoy the rest of your day.